Let's go, folks. Let's go. We are back. The give and go is back. It's your boy, Reynoso. He with my co-host. Folks. Folks. Look, uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to be real with you guys, as I always am. Saltero's uh, he's a little tired. He's a little tired. Woke up, took it out of him. He asked for a couple days off. That's it. A couple days off. And I know that we were just starting to get the ball rolling, but he said, hey, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite there yet. And I said, you know what, brother? Take all the time you need. I got us. I got us. I'm like St. Maximan up here, man. I got us. And so I'm stepping up today. I actually have a lot to talk about because I think I'm a little bit past the World Cup withdrawals now. I'm actually very excited. Just talk football. I've been watching a ton of football recently too, so I'm feeling fresh. There's some fun stories I really want to shine and bring light to. And so I hope that you guys are willing to stick with me for today. And my co-host, uh, uh, what is it, Weasel? Weasel, is that you? Oh, little buddy, little guy. Kind of looks like Saltero, if we're being honest. Don't, don't look that different. It don't look that different from Salty, man. It really don't. We got to put an Argentina jersey on these little fools, man. Little bandits. Before we get into the football talk, I want to just make some quick announcement, guys, because while we were on this little break, I actually managed to put in a lot of work in regards to our new merch. The Give and Go has a new line of merch, a new season, new arrivals. We created like over five designs that I think are really, really cool. I try to come up with designs that, you know, even football's fashionistas would like to wear, like the Hector Bellerin would like wearing, man. Honestly, one of football's top fashionistas. I hope to see him one day in this merch, but Guys, I just want to promote it because, you know, it helps out the channel a lot when you guys purchase our merch. It's a sign of support. It's a sign of faith, of trust, and it just means a lot to us. So we revamped the website. It's looking good. Go ahead and explore it. See the About Me section. Learn more about us. But then also check out the merch, man. Pick out any design you like. We have so many different options, so many different colors. So go ahead and check it out at the link below, thegiveandgo.com. You'll easily navigate the website straight to merch, and you'll see all the designs there. So... Hope you guys will uh, check that out. And, and if you don't, man, I appreciate you guys just watching this show and always supporting us regardless. Welcome to the Ray No Show, brother. Welcome. All right, man. I want to start in the Premier League because we saw some awesome action over there this past weekend with two major games. Arsenal facing off against Tottenham and Manchester City facing off against Manchester United. Both of these games were hyped up by the give and go and by world football viewers all around because both teams that are in contention for the title needed to get results out of these matches in order to continue that race towards the title. And the first team that we saw go at it was Manchester City against Manchester United, which I thought was just a fascinating fucking game. The Premier League just does incredible things when it comes to providing a good, entertaining match. This was high octane, high drama, so many so many prominent characters on the pitch. The game absolutely delivered. And I loved, I loved that it was at Old Trafford because... I can't remember the last time I saw Old Trafford rocking the way it was this past weekend, dude. Because so many times do we see Manchester United kind of go on these streaks of winning two, three, maybe even like four games, and suddenly people start talking, man. You start hearing it in the bushes, bro. People start saying shit like, maybe Manchester United is back. Maybe Manchester United is back. We're back to the, the ways of the 90s and the early 2000s. But every single time, bro, they let you down, man. They disappoint you with terrible managerial moves, terrible players overall, disappointing results. Whatever you want it to be throughout the 2010s, for the most part, especially the latter part of the 2010s, it's been nothing 
but sheer disappointment for Manchester United. And for a moment, brother, while I was watching this game and I saw Man City go up 1-0, I was thinking, well, here we go again. Here we go again, <laughs> man. Nothing has changed. It's the same old shit. People got excited with their little winning streak. And we're going to see now how a team that's just overall better than them showcases their talent and humbles them in the classic Manchester United way. But we saw one of the most bizarre calls in world football this season with what I thought was a weird interpretation of the offside rule. Marcus Rashford sneaks his way past the last defender and he's offsides completely. Ball comes in towards him, but he elects to completely ignore it and not be a part of the play. The thing is, it's not really up to him, man, because the defenders see that he's in an offside position and they immediately start thinking, oh, okay, maybe we can let, let our foot off of the gas here. Maybe we can relax for a little bit because... This guy is interfering with the play even if he didn't want to. And so they lessen their overall effort. And instead, you saw Bruno Fernandes sneak in behind, receive the ball, break lines, and score a fucking goal. So a lot of controversy was caused because of this play because we haven't really seen something like this throughout the VAR era at this degree, you know, at this level, at this stage. Something like this where it's pure interpretation pure interpretation you can dissect to have you want and i can see arguments for both sides but in my eyes i did think that marcus rashid was interfering with the play and therefore the play should have been deemed illegal regardless bruno fernandez amazing finish we've been on bruno fernandez for the most part this year he's been playing great football he was portugal's probably best player throughout the world cup and he just picked up right where he left off in qatar and just made a gorgeous finish to tie the game 1-1 and like Saltero once sat down and said that man loves just hearing the chants of Bruno 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 on the sidelines dude because he lost his fucking shit dude I can't imagine what this guy is like on drugs if I, if he if I, if I ever saw him at a rave or something this dude would be berserk dude he'd lose his goddamn shit if anything I hope he never touches drugs man because he, he might turn into a fucking monster man he has just, he just has so much energy and so much emotion that it makes for such an incredible player and when he's at his top top level he can compete against the best teams in the world like Manchester City following that though it was a tie game, and I was like, you know what? Still, whether if it was a goal or not a goal, I don't care. We have a tied match. This is super entertaining. This is super fun. But who's going to fucking step up here? Manchester City needed this victory desperately, man, because Arsenal was flying high. They needed to get that goal in those last 15 minutes. But instead, dude, we saw Manchester United just ride that momentum like no other. And it's the reason that I commended Old Trafford at the beginning of this, because I do feel that Old Trafford kind of helped push them into that upper echelon in ways that they haven't before, man. The way Manchester United reacted to the crowd's involvement and to the overall atmosphere was awesome, dude. Awesome. And it shows specifically in uh, their, uh, I believe it's their left winger, Garnacho, who we haven't really talked about on the podcast here. He's an 18-year-old winger uh, who's had a few uh, opportunities to play with Manchester United now in the first team. And he shined, man. He's done really, really good. I believe he's Argentine, or I believe he's selected to play for the Argentina national team. It may still be up in the air between Argentina and Spain, but regardless, he's a world talent. He's, he's going to be a player to keep your eye on because he has incredible tenacity. He's actually a really good decision maker, and when he's in that final third, he's just dangerous, dude. He's dangerous. Uh, reminds me of like a Vinny Jr., but with a bowl cut. <laughs> I'm not saying Garnacho is going to be that, but I am saying that you're seeing early stages, early steps, Toddler, baby steps 
of what could potentially be a truly promising player. And so I just want to kind of add on to that Garnacho hype because he receives the ball on the side of the box at around like the 84th minute. And he puts whoever was defending him in a fucking spin cycle, man. Garnacho was just looking for an angle to kind of either get a shot off or send a good ball in. And he finally found one after kind of faking the defender out and finding the ball on his left foot. Sends a beautiful ball in where Marcus Rashford finds himself onside. Sweet little tucked in finish the way that Marcus Rashford has been showing recently with his incredible form. And Manchester United goes up 2-1 on the glorious, the, the championship winning Manchester City. Incredible scenes, dude. Incredible scenes. And I love it, man. I love it because we hyped this game up to be as Manchester United's best chance to take on Man City in the past three, four years. And it fucking showed, dude. It fucking showed. And I think the world is better when Manchester United has a good team. It's like the Knicks and basketball. It's like so many other sports. When Manchester United is good, I think it's better for the sport. And I think it's better for world football overall. There's a lot of Man United fans out there, man. I'm sure we have some watching us right now. And so I want to commend them on that victory. And I think I actually want to go as far as saying, congratulations, Manchester United. I truly believe that you are finally back. Finally back. Maybe not to championship winning ways, but back to being a top club, man. Like, that's simple. I think the bar has been that low for Manchester United in recent memory with how bad they've been. But with what I just saw this weekend, bro, and the form that I'm seeing these players in, Gasemito's presence in the midfield, bro, I'm just truly, truly fascinated. And I love it. I really do. I'm like, oh, shit. Well, let's fucking go, man. It's about time that, you know, there's this pride. There's this regional pride attached to the Manchester Derby. And it's dope to see Manchester United come out on top versus a Man City team who has been overall lackluster this season. And to kind of continue along this theme of like teams kind of coming back, teams kind of rejuvenating themselves, kind of representing the the way of the past. But also a lot of teams like you can put into example Fulham. They're playing incredible this season, man. They were just promoted to the Premier League this past year. Like, it just happened, and they're now in sixth place in the fucking Prem. And what's crazy about this is that if you look at the bottom three teams or you look at the three teams that got promoted to the Premier League most recently, all three of them are outside of the relegation zone, meaning from 18th place to 20th place, which I, I don't think I've seen that so far in my experience as watching the Premier League. Usually I see a team that gets promoted, at least one of them ends up getting relegated. But so far, all three teams are contesting in the Premier League, Fulham being the best team out of all of them in sixth place, which is just nuts. But you also have Nottingham Forest in 13th place. Now, they're not that far off from the relegation zone, but still, I thought they'd be doing way worse. I thought they'd be doing way worse, but they're doing really good. And likewise, Burnmouth is fighting for their goddamn lives, but thankfully, teams like Everton, West Ham, and Southampton are actually doing way worse and thus putting them in a position to stay alive in the Premier League so far. They're close, though. They're close. I believe they're in 17th place right now, and relegation zone starts at 18th. So it's very fucking close. But so far, all three teams that got promoted are in positions where if the season ended today, they continue for another season. And I think that's incredible. I don't think I actually have seen that. We're just seeing a lot of special stories in the Premier League this season. The Premier League has been delivering in ways that I did not expect them to deliver to because going into the season, I thought it'd just be a classic Liverpool-Man City clash, a lot of good top six matchups, and a few little feisty teams here and there. But we're seeing all-around grit, all-around quality across the entire league, and we're seeing awesome, awesome stories with the most impressive one being 
Arsenal, dude. Arsenal this weekend, I think, cemented something. They made a, a statement with what they were able to do against Tottenham in Tottenham Stadium, get a 2-0 victory away from home in front of these feisty-ass Tottenham fans who crossed some lines with the way that they uh, they fucking uh, approach these Arsenal players. There's a, a fan that kicked the goalkeeper, man. Oh, wow. Pretty crazy, oh, yeah. Like, they, they went a little too far with it, dude, but there's a lot of uh, hate between both teams, a lot of animosity. So it's a tough atmosphere to go into, and Arsenal went in there, ransacked the fucking town, and they left with all the money and all the gold, bro. They took everything out of this Tottenham team. They looked demoralized by the end of it. Wow. And Arsenal made them made a fucking statement, dude. A statement to the Premier League. A statement to Man City, who had just lost the day before. Dude, I think Arsenal is that fucking team. They're that yeah. fucking team. They have done incredible things this season. Mikel Arteta has completely proven his doubters and his haters wrong. And the way that this team plays football is truly genuinely beautiful dude it's beautiful beautiful football a player i want to highlight martin odegaard i think has been one of the funnest players to watch in all of world football this season dude his creativity on the ball his ability to get a pass through the tightest of spaces to be such a smart player i didn't expect him to make this jump so soon and he's already doing it with so much on his shoulders so much responsibility i saw someone bring up the comparison of could we see him actually become a better player for Arsenal than legends like Mesut Ozil, for example? And I don't question. think he's there yet. I don't think he's there yet. But I think the fact that that conversation is now getting started up is actually deserved, justified with how well Odegaard has been in a championship title winning season so far. You got to give him his flowers, man. Let's do that now before it's too late. And I think that he's a player worthy of that. And I cannot wait to just continue watching him the rest of the season because he has been just so crucial for this Arsenal team, breaking lines and just finding ways to generate goal-scoring opportunities, man. Arsenal is now up eight points on Manchester City. Saltero's rule when it comes to league tables is that if a team ever goes up 10 points clear, then the season is done. The top team is in deemed champion in his book. And in the time that I've known Saltero, he's always been right, bro. He'll text me when a team goes up 10 points. I'll be like, nah, there's no way. Maybe there's way too much of the season left. Maybe that, that team loses their fucking lead. But so far, so right. It's one of his best theories, one of his best mathematical formats to league tables. If Arsenal goes up two more points on Man City, I think the league's done. I think it's done. Saltero I think Arsenal, octopus. I think Saltero the Octopus <laughs> will show up, show his face and show and say, it's over. The fat lady has sung. The game is done. Arsenal are title winners. So I won't say it yet, but holy shit, bro. They are so fucking close to getting there. So that's what kind of highlights and uh, leads the headlines in the uh, Premier League so far this weekend with just those two big matchups. But there was a game I saw that I thought was actually really fun, which was the uh, Nottingham Forest game where they faced off against Leicester. Nottingham Forest, as I mentioned, in 13th place, actually playing a lot better than what I expected them to. And Leicester, disappointing so far this season. Also kind of flirting with the relegation zone at the start of the season. Found themselves, found a way to kind of get out of that hole early on and now are just kind of in that middle of the pack stage in the Premier League. But still, I was interested to watch this game because I was like, I don't know. I want to see Nottingham Forest get a result here because I truly don't think Leicester is that good, man. I don't. I think that team is fucking shambolic. And it showed. It showed. Nottingham Forest won 2-0 in uh, 
actually stylistic fashion, dude. It was actually a really awesome win in front of their home fans with Morgan Gibbs White. I wanted to highlight this guy. Dude, this guy's a baller, an absolute baller. I, I ask that anyone who watches this show or listens to this show on Spotify, rate us five stars if you haven't right now, give us a like and subscribe on YouTube, please. If you watch this show, watch what Morgan, Morgan Gibbs White did in that second goal in the buildup towards it and in the finishing product of it, dude. Incredible what this guy did, dude. He started off a counterattack with a bicycle kick, dude. Like out of his outside <laughs> of his own fucking box, dude. He fucking Just... he fucking tweaks that torso in some incredible fucking way, keeps the ball alive, lands at one of his teammates' feet, and then he receives the ball back and then he starts surveying the pitch. He starts looking like who's out there? Who who do I need to find? Who's on the run? They were already up one nil, so the defense was kind of open for Lester and to be honest, it's Lester's defense. That shit's yeah. always open, bro. And so... <laughs> 24-7. Yeah, 24-7. Whataburger type shit, bro. That shit's always fucking open. And still, though, he had some work to do because he had to find a way to break the defensive lines and he had players on his on his wings. So he had to feed them. And the pass that he sent in was the tres dedos outside of the boot pass that lands perfectly at Brennan Johnson's feet. And Brennan Johnson was on fire this game. So he... He managed to finish that beautifully, but the whole play was designed, operated, and generated by Morgan Gibbs White. Playing great football, a really fun player to watch on Nottingham Forest, but overall, Nottingham Forest is super fun because they just signed they just signed someone, man. They just signed someone. Who they signed? And in ways that truly surprised me because when you think about teams of this quality, when they're fighting to stay alive in the Premier League, when they're looking to just kind of compete and not really dazzle or shine. They oftentimes try to make re really safe signings. You see a lot of English players get signed. A lot of European players get signed. Trying to find players on a budget, you could say. But Nottingham Forest did something that I was like, I kind of like their mentality here. They signed Gustavo Scarpa, a Brazilian player from Palmeiras. And what's dope about this guy, dude, is that he looks like a fucking Mortal Kombat character, dude. No he way. has a fucking headband, a damn near afro, and he's Brazilian. So he's got immediate, natural-born flair to his game. He is insanely fun to watch, man. And right off the bat, with Nottingham Forest, he, there's a play where he received the ball. He did like a really quick shimmy, really nice body movements. And I love it because he's obviously not good enough to be like at a top six club. But you give a guy like that, a guy with so much flair, with so much, with so much creativity, the keys to a mid-table Premier League team, oh, he's going to shine, man. And I love what I saw because I think the most fair comparison to this guy is a Brazilian Saint Maximin. Dude, he literally looks like him. He has the same fucking style. I think it's just him and Maximin that wear headbands. And they have this fucking long, luscious hair. And they both play with the same tenacity, the same hunger to create opportunities and to embarrass their opponents, man. He's going to be a fan favorite, I think. I think he's going to be a fan favorite. Only played about 55 minutes in his debut, but still, I thought that was really good. I thought it was really solid. I think they got him for about 10 to 12 million euros, so that's a sizable amount for a team like Nottingham Forest, yeah. but I love it, dude. It's just, it's an awesome move, and then now they can pair him up alongside with uh, Lodi, who's also from uh, from Brazil as well. So, yeah, Newcastle will play against Nottingham Forest at some point this season. If we could see both of those players on the pitch, bro, That'd be like a fucking Mortal Kombat fight, man. Yeah. It'd be to the death. With that being said, I want to just shift on quickly over to Spanish football and more specifically the Spanish Supercopa de España with uh, four teams getting involved here. Real Betis, 
Valencia, Barcelona, and Real Madrid. We predicted on the show last week that we would see an El Clasico matchup, and that's exactly what we got after two uh, two penalty shootouts, which credit to Betis and Valencia, they were able to play really good games over 120 minutes, dude. Pushed both of wow. these teams to penalties, but ultimately the class and quality of the goalkeepers that Barcelona and Real Madrid have, as well as their penalty kick takers, just stood out and ultimately won them those matches. And so we saw Real Madrid against Barcelona in El Clasico just, just yesterday, dude. And I think the biggest talking point about this game and the result that we saw was... We saw two kids go at the prestigious Real Madrid in a fucking Ed Clasico matchup, a final. And we saw kids, bro, children, win the goddamn match for Barcelona. And when I talk about kids, I'm talking about two superstar midfielders that are often mentioned, Pedri and Gavi. Mm. Uh, It's crazy, crazy, bro. It actually is pretty crazy. How good you can be at something. Because, uh, like, I don't know if any other 18-year-old or 19-year-old is that good at what they do in other fields. Like, was Picasso as good of a, a painter when he was 18 or 19? Good what if he was a little shit, bro? What if he was a little ass? Like, these kids are 18 and 19, and they're already so good at what they do. And it baffles me because yesterday's performance was an absolute masterclass. A, a showcasing, especially with Gavi. He, he stood out to me a lot. With his uh, ball knowledge, his IQ, his uh, his touch, his ability to just be a smart midfielder. That Tiki Taka, which I had said died throughout the World Cup, actually rose from the dead and showed itself for just a few minutes in that matchup. Once Barcelona was up 3-0 on Real Madrid, they were Tiki taka their way to the fucking victory. And I was like, yo, if there's anybody that can bring that back, it's these two players, man. As these two players, maybe I was a little too harsh on Spain, man, because of the way they went on the World Cup, which I thought was pretty disappointing. Gavi and Pedri are the future of Spanish football. They're the future of Barcelona. It's crazy that they already have so many appearances under their belt and so many big games. And I think a victory like this is exactly what they needed to just kind of is exactly what they need to kind of just launch them into having an even better second half of the season. Barcelona isn't in the Champions League anymore than the Europa League with how they disappointed in the Champions League. I do wish we could have seen them in the knockout Champions League match, but now with what I saw in this game, I'm putting the pressure on them. Barcelona has to win the Europa League. Or at the very least, get to the final, bro. They're way too good. Lewandowski is, he's great, man. He's great. He was an incredible signing this past year. We all know this, but I just think it's such a good fit now. And this team has just completely changed its ways compared to what they were doing just last year. And when you have Pedri and Gavi, man, you're always going to have a chance to be in a match. I know that me and Saltero argue about Musiala versus, you know, uh, Bellingham, for example. But we, we do at times leave out the incredible prowess and quality of Gavi and Pedri. And I just, I, I do think it just rotates out when you think about youngsters who are hitting the scene. Who's the best one out of all of them? I think it's always a conversation of Pedri, Gavi, Bellingham, and Musiala. Those four, just every single week, they're just flipping in and out, back and forth, whoever wants to step up. And this week, this week is Gavi and Pedris to have, dude. Do you want to know what my favorite story in European football is this season? What's your favorite story in my European story? Is, brother. My favorite story exists in France, and it exists outside of Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar at PSG. It exists within the team that is in second place right now on PSG's head. Just waiting 
for them to make a mistake and potentially seize first place in France, we have R.C. Lons. R.C. Lons, and I hope I'm saying that right. If we have any French viewers, please correct me if I'm wrong. I want to get it right because this team has won my heart, dude. They have won my heart over. Lons last won Ligue 1 uh, the, or the top division in France in 1998. So it's been like 24 years for them, right? Yeah. But they saw a lot of ups and downs in the 2000s with them being in the second division of French football just two seasons ago, bro. Two seasons ago, man. In 2019, they promoted over to the top division in France and they started just kind of laying their roots once again in the first division. But that's a crazy thing, man, to be as good as they are right now uh, versus what they were in the past, dude, it actually is a pretty big jump going into this season. It was never thought of. It was never assumed. It was never expected that they would actually be a top four contender, man. But when you look at their team, man, I think it's very Leicester City-like. They have some awesome, awesome talents that, unfortunately, after this season, I don't think they'll be. I don't think they'll be there. I don't think they'll be there next season because they have a lot of good players. And to highlight some of them, we have Sotoka, who's probably, in my opinion, one of two of the best players at Lons right now. Dude is awesome. An awesome player. You have Seko Fofana, man. My favorite Fofana in European football, dude. He is so fucking fun to watch. And the heartbeat of this team, the the representative for those fans and for the players on the pitch, he is their go-to guy. I love watching him play every single week. And, bro, he has some fucking highlights. He has some bangers, some outside-the-box finishes that have truly surprised me and is the reason what is the reason for why Lons caught my eye was because of the way that Fofana was playing specifically. You also have guys like Danso, Medina, and Argentine, Frankowski, the Polish men. You have a number of guys here that aren't the best in their countries, aren't the best players overall, but when you combine their talents together, they make for a very, very formidable team. And just two weeks ago, Lons faced off against PSG, bro. They hosted them. PSG came into their stadium. And in classic ways, PSG always goes into those away stadiums and you just they just ransack you, man. They get the victory. They show their dominance. They show all the money that they spend in transfers. Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, so many fucking players. Like they, they always win these games. But they go to Lon Stadium, dude, and they lose three to one, man. Whoa, what? Three to one. They oh. got bamboozled, bro. <laughs> Lons was running all over them, dude. It was such an awesome game to see wow. and result to see. And I, I'm i going to criticize world football, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you want to call it. No one fucking talked about it. No one talked about it, bro. No one. And I know that maybe Messi wasn't involved. Neymar wasn't involved because they just got done with the World Cup. But still, PSG should have won that game. They should have because their overall team value was almost... Two, three times, four times is more than Lons, man. Yeah. And they went in there and they got beat the fuck up. And I was laughing, man. I was laughing <laughs> like a madman, dude. Like a madman. It's like a David versus Goliath situation. Yes, dude. But the thing is, David David ain't that weak. Lons has only lost one game this season, man. And we're almost halfway through the season. They're three points behind PSG now because PSG lost this past week and won nil. And so... There's actually only a three-point gap between them, and the only loss that Lons conceded this year was to their rival, Lil. Lil. If that loss to Lil ever comes between Lons and winning the title, Lil fans will always have that over Lons fans like like no other, dude. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah. think of a more dominant thing, bro. They'll own Lons, bro, if they can look back on that loss that they gave him and be like, damn, 
we're the reason that you guys didn't fucking win the trophy. That would be crazy. That'd be insane. Lons is out here just shaping up a narrative that I think it's time. It's time that people start looking at it. It's time that people start acknowledging it. Watch this team every single week. They're so fun to watch. And I would compare it to Atletico Tucumán, who we highlighted last year within the Argentine first division, nearly winning the title, falling short in second place. But I, I think that same magic, that same essence exists in this Lons team. So please, I urge you, give and go viewers and listeners, to check them out because they are playing some wonderful football in France right now. It's kind of funny how the same weekend in both the Premier League and the Serie A, we saw the top teams in both of those leagues kind of make the same statement. I feel that Arsenal and Napoli both made a statement to the world that said, we're the favorites now. We're, we're the favorites. Like We are the ones destined to lift the trophy at the end of the season. But I think that statement was more prominent in Italy than what it was in England because Manchester City, you never know. They could just wait the fuck up, go on a 20-game winning streak, and win the fucking title. But over here in Napoli, man, Napoli was set to face off against Juventus, who was, I believe, on like an eight-game winning streak where they didn't concede a single goal, man, nothing but clean sheets. And it was starting to get built up as like a potential candidate, a potential challenger to a Napoli side that was flying high. And so I liked it. I loved it because I was like, all right, let's see it, man. I love a good test. I love a good challenge. I love those moments within the league when you see a team just step up and say, we want the fucking title. A 5-1 victory. Five against Juventus, who I repeat, had not conceded a goal in over eight games, dude. Five. They raged war on fucking Juventus, man. They couldn't do shit about it either. They just would not stop. And I loved it, man. They were ruthless in their attack they were having so much fun they enjoyed bullying and beating up juventus man it was low-key dark because juventus for an eight nine year span was the best team in italy and yeah. won titles upon titles upon titles it's like napoli was always sitting back watching taking notes just kind of keeping up with what was going on finally when the moment was given to them when they're in this in the midst of this incredible story of potentially winning the title, the first time since Maradona was at the club, they do this, man. They fucking defeat Juventus 5-1. And I think it's pretty clear to most football fans now, Napoli's going to win the title, man. Napoli's going to win the title yeah, because yeah. in second place, you have AC Milan, but uh, they actually tied against, I believe it's Leche. Is that how you say it? I know that's how you say milk in Spanish, but it's L-E-C-C-E -C -C -E in Italian. So I don't know how that translates to Leche. Leche? Leche? They lost the milk, bro. They lost the milk. <laughs> I just I think they're destined for it, man. I think they're destined to win the wow. the Italian trophy. And that's gonna be an awesome moment. I can't wait to see all those fans in Naples like just lose their minds. Like there's gonna be incredible scenes, incredible parties. Like it's been a long time since they've been at the very top of Italian football. And not just that. They're a force in Europe now, too. In my opinion, they're a top four team in Europe with the form that they're in right now. I'm really happy with the way the team has operated after the moves they made in the summer. And I truly do wonder what DFO is feeling like right now because he's a UA fan. I hope that man is in the dust right now, man. He's been at, he's been at the top for way too long, man. Way too long. It's someone else's time. And I think it's not police. Let's do some quick uh, Liga MX roundup talk here uh, just to check back on it as we entered jornada numero dos of the season. Uh... I watched three games, three games, and I'm not going to go in depth here. I'm just going to do a surface level analysis of what happened. The first game I saw was uh, Toluca versus America, and uh, I'm rooting for Toluca this season, man. I really am because the presence and the creativity and the flair low-key of Leo Fernandez 
is so so fun to watch, man. And not just that, but the Luca offensively, dude, for years, they have a knack for just creating some of the most beautiful highlight-like type of goals, dude. Incredible interplay, incredible exchanges between them. The movement off ball when they're when they're trying to counter, when they're trying to create an opportunity, it's like Arsenal low key, man. Just wow. just Mexican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Mexican. <laughs> and so it's really fun to watch, man. It, it really, really is. You have Marcel Ruiz, the 22-year-old midfielder. Uh, that's also doing really well for the team too. And overall, just some really good attacking options. It it sucks that they fell so short in the final this past year, but uh I, I still do think that they're a very good team. And so I went into this game rooting for them. And also I'm a Chivas fan, so it's easy to root against America. And they went up 2-0. 2-0. And I was like, let's fucking go, dude. Let's go. But America, which was Saltero's pick to win Liga and Mekis this year, showed why they were his pick. They came back into the game, man. 2-2 tie. Henry Martin really showed out this game, finding ways to... Uh, just infiltrate that Toluca defense, which I do think is a little weak, man. It still hasn't been completely shored up. Uh, I think America is going to be a contender this year. And I think I learned that watching this game because most teams most teams bend over once they're down 2-0, bro. Uh, especially with the, way, with the way Toluca was scoring their goals. Another interesting thing here is that I thought Malagón would be starting for America goalkeeper with the departure of Guillermo Ochoa. But instead, you have Oscar Jimenez, the 34-year-old goalkeeper, uh, starting for America. And I thought this decision was super interesting because they just got Malagón. Like, they just got him in the winter transfer window so that he could be the heir, the replacement to Guillermo Ochoa. But instead, you have this 34-year-old veteran starting. And I had my eye on him because I was like, if he fucks up in even the slightest way, like, what, 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 is, what is America doing here? But he had a great game, bro. He had an awesome game. Wow. Awesome game. Had a number of big saves for America, especially when they were working their way back into the game that kept them in it. I commend Fernando Ortiz for making that call because I thought it was the wrong one to start the game. But so far, so good. Jimenez looks great. And I think you just got to ride that wave, man. He's a smart goalkeeper. He's quick on his feet. And I'm down, man. I'm down. All right, then I checked out Monterrey against Cruz Azul. Monterrey won this game 3-2. to two And... That honestly surprised me because last last week when I saw Monterrey play against Chivas, I was like, bro, Monterrey is going to be like Wolves in the Premier League. These boys can't finish, bro. They can't finish. They can't score a goddamn goal. It's the reason for why Chivas was able to come out victorious in that match somehow, despite Chivas, in my opinion, playing terribly, mm-hmm. won the game 1-0. And a lot of that was credit to Monterrey, who just didn't know how to finish a fucking opportunity. Jornada 2 comes around. And they score three goals, dude. Whoa. Three goals, man, on Cruz Azul with uh, Berterame coming out on top here, getting three goals himself, a hat trick, but one of those was an own goal for his own team. So mm. ultimately, they win 3-2 here at the Azteca. Monterrey kind of just showing that, okay, we're going to be a good team. We're going to be a good team. And if they had been able to finish against Chivas, I do think they could have won that game. And so let's keep an eye out on Monterrey. As for Cruz Azul, I don't know, man. I, I just... I don't know. I think something's missing. I think something's missing. They didn't seem like the the force that I was hoping they would be because I know Saltero was big on them as well with how they were able to win the preseason tournament against Chivas in the final. I thought I would see a little bit more from, from Cruz Azul. But if anything, I do think Monterrey was just on their day. It, it, when it's this early in the season, it's so hard to kind of tell what a team is going to be. So I do think Cruz Azul has the potential to be a solid team. I just don't know if they're if they're there yet. And then the last Liga and Mekis match that I saw was uh, Tigres against Pachuca. And I was excited about this one because Pachuca are defending champions, bro. 
defending champions. And they just came off of a huge victory, 5-1 against, I believe, Puebla, whereas Tigres came off of a 3-1 victory. I don't remember against who, but it was 3-1. So both of these teams, these are the contenders, man. Like, these are the big teams of Liga and Mekis. Like, these are the ones to watch out for. And Tigres, more specifically, was my pick to win Liga and Mekis before the season started. And so I'm rooting for them low-key, man. And we saw Tigres slap up Pachuca, dude. Slap them up, bro. The defending champions, man. The defending champs. Four to one, man. Four to one. that bad. And that's considering that Pachuca actually scored the first goal of the game. They went up one nil. But then after that, Tigres, back to back to back to back goals. And to be fair to Pachuca, it seemed like the type of game where after they conceded that second goal, they kind of just gave up. They just let it go. Kind of like... Switzerland against Portugal type shit. Like, they just stopped trying. I do think this game would be closer if both teams played at their top, top level. But for those first, you know, contested minutes, uh, it seemed it seemed close. And then suddenly, Tigres, the opportunities they were to create were just stupid, man. The Pachuca defenders would just lose the ball and, like, completely leave Tigres players on a fucking breakaway multiple times. And Tigres just took advantage. And so, that's my Tigres, though. Hey, I said, I said I saw this coming, man. I've been saying it. Uh, Reynoso, the reindeer is back from the, the dead, man. I've arrived, man. I just got back from my trip from Morocco. I'm back now. <laughs> I, I've made amends, man. And so I do think Tigres is looking incredible. I don't think this is the most fair assessment of Pachuca, but it is worth keeping an eye on because, like, you don't lose that bad, man. Not when you're a defending champ, man. At least have some pride at the very least. Even if they did give up, like, try, man. So, yeah, Tigres looking good and probably looking like the best team in Liga Mekis so far with two wins to start off the season. The last topic that I wanted to talk about as I just dove into world football this past week um we've been kind of aware about it for a while but not to this extent man like the gravity of this situation is worsening by the day man by the day this is getting bad this is getting scary man we need to be on alert here and this is over in spain all right i mean let's go over to spain now we're in spain right now espana we're in la liga and we have sevilla currently in the relegation zone battling for their lives to stay in the first division. Let me name some names here, bro, because this is actually a crazy situation. Sevilla is one of the three worst teams in Spain this season, and they have players like Gonzalo Montiel, World Cup winner, Marcos Acuña, World Cup winner, Papu Gomez, World Cup winner, three Argentines on this team. They have Jesus Navas, who granted is like 37 years old, but they still have a really, really experienced and veteran Spanish player in Jesus Navas. They have Delaney from Denmark. They have Tecatito Corona, who's a little injured right now, so let's be fair to him. They have Bono, who was a World Cup semifinalist, the starting goalkeeper for Morocco. And Nasiri, the starting striker for Morocco as well. We have five World Cup semifinalists on this team. Rakitic, who at one point was one of the best Croatian midfielders of all time, Obviously not up to that level now, but still, man, still, what the hell is going on in Sevilla, man? What's going on? They've been in the first division for 20 years. They weren't this bad last season, and now they've accumulated only 15 points out of a possible 51 points, dude. This team should be a top six team in La Liga, and now they're fucking fighting for their lives to just stay in the fucking division. I'm not saying I'm angry at them. I'm not saying I'm like hateful towards them. I'm just like, what the hell is going on, man? This is bizarre. This is weird. And we're seeing it in the Premier League too with Everton, Southampton, West Ham. These really big names 
are in actual genuine trouble of getting relegated. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad. But holy shit, is it is it concerning, man? Because what the hell is happening? Are just the weaker teams getting better overall? Are we just seeing more money getting pumped into weaker promoted sides? And thus, we're starting to see this happen now? Because if so, then maybe it's not the worst thing. But if you're a fan of history, if you're a fan of a team that's been in this league for 20 plus years and been a prominent part of La Liga, it does concern you a little bit, man. It does worry you like, what the hell is going on? And the problem with Sevilla is that I do think it's just, it's related to their management, man. It has to be a coaching situation. It has to be the way that these guys are playing. Maybe the locker room just isn't that united. It's not as cohesive as it should be. I'm fascinated by the idea of all those players that I just mentioned actually having to play in La Liga 2. That would be insane. Granted, a lot of these guys will get sold off, but still, that would still be insane to see so many World Cup finalists and winners play in the second division of Spain. A crazy story that's developing. It's like the it's like the anti-Atletico Tucumán, man. It's like the, yeah, the an- opposite. It's, it's like the, it's like the uh, opposite lawns, man. This is this is a dark story. And I'm just worried, bro. I'm just worried. All right, folks. This is the Rain No Show. Thank you guys for watching. Saltero will be back very, very soon. But while I have you guys here, make sure you just give us a like on your way out. Make sure to give us a comment. What do you think about the takes that I had today? And make sure to check out our merch in the description below. Until next time, guys. Stay safe. Peace.